The America's National Parks podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean has partnered with the National Park Foundation to help you find your happy place. And with more than 400 national parks, there's a good chance you'll find one close to home. Discover your perfect day in a park at findyourpark.com. From a seed no bigger than that of a tomato, California's coast redwood may grow to a height of 367 feet and have a width of 22 feet at the base. Imagine a 35-story skyscraper and you have an inkling of the tree's ability to arouse humility. Some onlookers envision dinosaurs rumbling through these forests in bygone eras. I'm Jason Epperson, and this is California's Redwood National Park. It turns out that picturing dinosaurs roaming through the forest is a perfectly natural thought. Fossil records have shown that relatives of today's coast redwoods thrived in the Jurassic era, 160 million years ago. And while the fantastic creatures of that age have long since disappeared, the redwoods continue to thrive in the right environment. California's North Coast provides the only such environment in the world. A combination of longitude, climate, and elevation limits the redwoods range to a few hundred coastal miles. The cool, moist air that lofts in from the Pacific Ocean keeps the trees continually damp, even during summer droughts. These conditions have existed for some time as the redwoods go back 20 million years in their present range. But exactly why the redwoods grow so tall is a mystery. Theories continue to develop, but proof remains elusive. The trees can reach ages of 2,000 years and regularly reach 600 years. Resistance to natural enemies such as insects and fire are built-in features of a coast redwood. Diseases are virtually unknown and insect damage is insignificant thanks to the high tannin content of the wood. Thick bark and foliage that rests high above the ground provides protection from all but the hottest forest fires. The redwoods' unusual ability to regenerate also aids in their survival as a species. They do not rely solely upon sexual reproduction as many other trees must. New sprouts come directly from the stump or down tree's root system as a clone. Basal burls or hard knotty growths that form dormant seedlings in a living tree can sprout a new tree when the main trunk is damaged by fire, cutting, or toppling. The Coast Redwoods environment recycles naturally. Because the 100 plus inches of annual rainfall leaves the soil with few nutrients, the trees rely on each other, living and dead, for their vital nutrients. The trees need to decay naturally to fully participate in this cycle. But while these trees enjoy robust and hardy features, they have been threatened by humans. When Euro-Americans swept westward in the 1800s, they needed raw material for their homes and lives. Commercial logging followed the expansion of America as companies struggled to keep up with the furious pace of progress. Timber harvesting quickly became the top manufacturing industry in the West. When gold was discovered in northwestern California in 1850, the rush was on. 
thousands crowded the remote Redwood region in search of riches and new lives. These people were no less dependent upon lumber, and the Redwoods conveniently provided the wood the people needed. The size of the huge trees made them prized timber, as Redwood became known for its durability and workability. By 1853, nine sawmills were at work in Eureka, a gold boom town established three years prior. Large-scale logging was soon underway, and the once immense stands of Redwoods began to disappear by the close of the 19th century. At first, axes, saws, and other early methods of bringing the trees down were used, but loggers made use of rapidly improving technology in the 20th century that allowed more trees to be harvested in less time. Transportation also caught up to the task of moving the massive logs. The locomotive replaced horses and oxen. Railroads became the fastest way to transport the logs to mills. Land fraud was common as acres of prime redwood forests were transferred from the public domain to private industry. Although some of the perpetrators were caught, many thousands of acres of land were lost in land swindles. By the 1910s, some concerned citizens began to clamor for the preservation of the dwindling stands of redwoods. The Save the Redwoods League was born out of this earnest group, and eventually the League succeeded in helping to establish the Redwood Preserves of Jedediah Smith Redwood State Park, Del Norte Coast Redwood State Park, and Prairie Creek Redwood State Park. But still, logging continued in those parts of the forest that were privately owned, accelerated by World War II and the economic boom of the 1950s. By the 60s, logging had consumed nearly 90% of all the original redwoods. It wasn't until 1968 that Redwood National Park was established, which secured some of the few remaining stands of uncut redwoods. In 1978, Congress added more land that included logged over portions of Redwood Creek. Today, these lands undergo large scale restoration by the park's resource managers. Logging continues on privately held lands nearby and throughout the Redwood region. Um, we are in the Bald Hills. So this is an area that the park has a history of burning since the 19, mid 1980s. And our primary objectives up here are resource management objectives. We like to maintain the oak woodlands for the Roosevelt elk habitat. We got about 220 of those up here. Um, we also have some remnant cattle that get in here and there, hopefully not in our unit today. That's Eamon Engber, fire ecologist at Redwood National Park. He stands in front of a park emergency vehicle with a map taped to it, planning the day's job as he addresses the crowd of crew that will carry it out. So our specific objectives in the open grassland, it differs a little bit based on if we're in open grass versus under the oaks. Um, we like to kill about 80% of the encroaching Douglas fir saplings in the open grassland and about 70% uh, under the oaks. We also want to maintain the native plant species up here. That's what I am primarily responsible for in terms of the monitoring. Um, and then we don't want to reduce the oak woodland canopy cover by more than 10% within a couple years of the burn. So we're trying to kill small Douglas fir, but we're trying to maintain that oak overstory as well. 
Um, some operational objectives are provide for the safety of the public and firefighters. Bald Hills Road is a really active public use road. There's some logging going on, so be cognizant of that. Um, ensure communication is available across the burn unit. Um, we'll talk about comms a little bit later. Um, we're going to be managing some traffic and doing what we can to limit smoke from obscuring Bald Hills Road. Um, and then a primary operational objective is to prevent fire from crossing the park boundary to the north and east into the private timberlands. John McClellan, prescribed fire technician. Morning everybody. Um, so the unit is about 300 acres. It's got all aspects on it. It's one of the highest points in the park. Uh, it's bounded by Bald Hills Road on the south right here and along the west side. Um, Robbers Gulch Road on the north. That's where a lot of the, the logging trucks are coming out of. And what we call the east side road, a grassy road on the east side of the, of the unit. Um, it's got a lookout up on top with a little bit of in infrastructure up there. Uh, primarily grass, fuel model three with some little oak stands kind of on the northwest side and some encroaching dug fur and some of the uh, drainages. Fire is the lifeblood of conifer forests and prairies. But as modern development encroaches on these lands, fires have become more dangerous and too big to rebirth plants without killing others. Forest fires have always been caused by lightning, meaning that they happen during or after rainstorms and otherwise moist times of the year, keeping their impact minimal, usually towards the forest floor and away from the canopy. When humans cause fires during dry periods, they spread rapidly, consuming everything in their path and are very difficult to stop. James Scott, Interagency Forest Fuels Technician. Uh, I'm up here today in the Bald Hills as a prescribed fire burn boss um, here on these units that were that you see behind us. And uh, yeah, I'm out here helping doing metal restoration and helping clean up some of the invasive species, uh, trees that don't need to be here, um, plants and blackberries, things like that and also helping out with the uh, wildlife and the fuels reduction, which is a big part, especially within the Forest Service. You know, we uh, like getting in and implementing fire on these lands so that we can get a reduction in fuels, which ultimately help us during the summer months uh, with the lower fire behaviors and the bigger fires we get. So yeah, out here um, today, we are uh, getting a, taking a big bite out of the uh, accomplishment for fuels reductions and uh, metal restoration. You know, right now we're today probably going to accomplish uh, 250 plus acres in meadow restoration, and um, and it's just a short uh, day too. It's not even be a full long day. And, and I think if we get more into prescribed fire um, and we get used to using fire as a tool, uh, as the future goes on, we can reduce the impacts of devastating wildfires by doing prescribed fire management. So I think today's going to be a good day, 250 acres treated. Using what's called a drip torch, which is sort of a, a canister with a flame on the end of it and fuel inside, fire crews begin to burn the edges of the planned boundary. This occurs after a small test burn has been completed, and only when the temperature, humidity, wind direction, and fuel moisture are within strict parameters. Eamon Engbar again. Well, this is a neat stand because it's a mix of dug fir, redwood, and Oregon white oak on the fringe, as well as some tan oak. So it's a very um, species-rich stand. 
and it hasn't seen fire in at least a decade. Normally when we burn this, it usually carries through the grass and the sun up above, but today we're getting some pretty good consumption in the understory. So it's reducing a lot of the fine fuels, so fuels below about one inch in diameter. Um, it's burning with maybe six inch to two foot flame lengths, um, which is right where we want to be in terms of our ability to control it. And it's not scorching the canopy too much, it's just burning through the leaf litter and duff. So ecologically, it's um, restoring fire to an area that historically had a very frequent fire regime and it's also um, maintaining most of that canopy cover which is within our objectives and within the prescription so yeah really beneficial fire fun day the burn is accomplishing its task the next time a massive forest fire comes through here there will be less fuel available to it but more importantly invasive species are removed and small trees that choke the forest are eliminated these forests will continue to survive because of prescribed burns. Redwood National Park is actually managed as Redwood National and State Parks, a string of protected forest, beaches, and grasslands along Northern California's coast. Jedediah Smith Redwood State Park has trails through dense old growth woods, Prairie Creek Redwood State Park is home to Fern Canyon with its high plant-covered walls. Roosevelt Elk frequent nearby Elk Prairie, and giant redwood clusters include Redwood National Park's Lady Bird Johnson Grove. For thousands of years, people have lived in this verdant landscape. Together, the National Park Service and California State Parks are managing and restoring these lands for the inspiration, enjoyment, and education of all. Here, banana slugs, gray whales, Douglas fir, black bears, and sea anemones are all equally at home with the redwoods. Congress protected lands adjacent to the three California state parks in 1968 with the creation of Redwood National Park. In 1994, the California Department of Parks and Recreation and the National Park Service agreed to manage the four park area jointly for maximum resource protection. Today, visitors will find not only old-growth redwood groves, but open prairie lands, two major rivers, and 37 miles of pristine California coastline. Cabins and developed camping are available through the California State Park System, and plenty of commercial lodging surrounds the area. It's a large swath of land with several individual groves to explore, so you'll want to plan well. Scenic drives, hiking, and biking trails abound. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, and the interview segments were recorded by Greg Litton with the National Park Service. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. For more great American destinations, Give us a listen over at our new See America podcast, wherever you listen to this one. If you're interested in RV travel, find us at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys at OurWanderingFamily.com.
to the New York Island From the Redwood Forest To the Gulf Stream waters This land was made for you and me Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag Be An Outsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks.